Hi, I'm Kim. And I'm Allie. We're the founders of Vote Like a Girl, and this is our podcast, Girl Talk Live. Ordinary women navigating an extraordinary time with candid, impassioned political conversation. In this week's episode, we're bringing the band back together. Kim, me, Kylie and Molly in rural Pennsylvania, and Christina in Delaware. The five of us got together last week for a discussion on the first presidential debate, and today we're talking about the VP face-off. Just to recap, the wild week we've all lived through. We have a president sick with COVID. The White House is now the country's hot zone, with at least 35 infected. The governor of Wisconsin has just evaded a kidnapping attempt. President Trump is in a flip-flop as to whether he'll face Biden again before the election. And yes, we have one more national debate behind us. Let's talk. Our first question for our roundtable was what was Senator Kamala Harris's best moments of the night? Christina got the conversation started. I would just say how cool she stays under pressure. And like, there's this fear in the back of my head that's like, I'm responding to how well she did because I'm a woman who appreciates being empowered myself. I look up to other powerful women who aren't afraid to speak their mind, but there's this small part of me in the back of my head that worries about like the 2016 Hillary effect of like, okay, she's too smart and she sounds too calm and collected. So what is like a stereotypical white male going to be able to turn that into for him? Cause what's his perspective going to be on it? Because at this point, sometimes that's what matters for this election at least. Um, so I would say for me personally, it was just how calm she stayed under the pressure. I mean, everyone's talking about her like laser eyes that she was giving <laughs> and she would say, I'm speaking or just like, so the ability to stay with an even tone, to not get hyped up, to not get angry, to not get upset because I know how I would be in that situation. Yeah. All right. Thank you. Kylie, how about you? Yeah, so for me, Senator Harris's best moment, and this is a quote that I really want embroidered on a hat, <laughs> maybe a t-shirt or like a laptop sticker, um, when she said the, this administration has forfeited their right to re-election because of the way that they dealt with the COVID crisis. Mm-hmm. Um, it really stuck with me because if you are going to be in public office, A, you need to care about people and they have proven time and time again that both Donald Trump and Mike Pence and this entire administration, they, they don't care about people or human lives. And, you know, the fact that she was able to keep reminding folks of that was really important and she really stuck to her guns, but that specific moment really stood out for me. And that was a moment where I went, Oh, that's, awesome and correct you know i i think the narrative like we should be talking about that like they forfeited their right to continue to be in the administration because of the way they handled this crisis right and i feel like that was just um you know i guess highlighted as well today by the new england journal of medicine coming out and saying basically that exact same thing that they failed so miserably that we cannot afford to reelect them so yeah, 
All right. How about uh, how about you, Molly? No, as as far as Senator Harris, I I think that um, again, just just the the phrase that everyone seemed to pick up on um, that I immediately thought that's so relatable to so many women is the, you know, I'm speaking. I I just thought that was it, it was so direct and in a polite way, and I think that that's her that was her tone for the entire debate was direct but polite direct but civil um and i really appreciated that even um something that i noticed was just her facial expressions throughout the entire debate um i thought that was something that sort of again you know just a subtle way to say okay i think you're full of it but i'm not going to say you're full of it i'm just going to i'm just going to let everyone else know that i think you're full of it um and i also just like that she it seemed like she responded directly to all of you know vice president pence's points head on so um with covid with healthcare, um with fracking you know she really addressed every single um you know one of uh vice president pence's talking points so i thought that that was something that really stuck out to me that she did a really good job at sort of not taking any any uh crap and making sure to like point out those lies throughout the debate. Yeah, I, I would agree. And to piggyback on a bunch of what you guys said, my, my moment was when Pence was going down that, oh, how dare, I, I shouldn't mimic him, but you know, how he, the people have taken such, made such personal sacrifice and the people have done this and they've, you know, you can't say that they haven't responded to this, the right, you know, putting it on the American people, like that wasn't what she's saying in the first place. And she comes back with, you needed to arm them with truth. You know, just matter of fact, you needed to give them the truth so they could respond exactly as you're talking with, you know, responsibility and planning and be ready for this. But you lied to them. I, that to me was like, she just spun that right around and, that, and, and it was game on right from there. Yes, I very much agree with Kylie and Molly and Kim and yes, I think in response to the COVID fiasco and how badly they've mismanaged the whole situation. Um, and I think the line that really stood out for me was, you know, essentially that they knew what was happening and they didn't tell you. They knew and they covered it up. Uh, it was so powerful just in the sense that as American citizens, we deserve to know the truth. We deserve to know what we are facing and lying to us is not going to make things better. Um, I also appreciate how, as a woman, you know, we all have to be calm and collected and we can't really raise our voice and we can't show um, too much anger. And specifically for a black woman, obviously, you know, the, she cannot be perceived as the angry black woman, but the mental gymnastics that she has to do to get these points across while still remaining calm, you know, and it brings me back to the Kavanaugh hearings of like, can you imagine a woman responding that way there i mean there is no way that they would have ever been you know approved to be a supreme court justice all right so um what was mike or vice president pence's first best um moment of the evening and we'll start with kylie <laughs> we we've touched upon this a little bit but um his best moment is also frightening right um when he turned it back when Senator Harris 
asked him about, you know, why did you fail the American people? Why did you not arm them with information and truth? And with what Kim said when he turned it around and said, well, how dare you insult the American people right, for all right. the sacrifices that they've done, which sure they have, but at the same time, that wasn't the question, A, and B, that he swung it in a way where it fires up his base, which is what he's there to do, right? Mm -hmm. He is there to defend the president. He is there to push out classic GOP talking points that we've heard day in and day out, you know, is Senator Harris too conservative or way too liberal and socialist, right? And he shot both at her, but his best moment is very scary because the, the words that he uses and the demeanor that he has, he appears to be put together, which, you know, by his record as vice president, but governor is awful and terrible and vile and evil <laughs> and you know him turning that back on well you're disrespecting the american people um that was a great moment for him and that's frightening and scary but that's the exact language that right his base needs I, to fire I felt, I felt the exact same way that you did when he started with that i'm like oh i know exactly what he's doing and but you know what, if you've, if you're living through COVID and, you know, I have friends who have family members who are still getting oxygen and, you know, I have a special need. Like, I, I wonder if, if, if it worked, you know, when, when, when it's, this is so real and it's really affecting people. So I knew what he was doing. And that's why I like the way that she's like, but you didn't give them enough truth to really plan, to really know what was coming, to allow them to, to be, to make the sacrifices that we knew they would make. So yeah, I totally agree. That was a really interesting exchange between the two of them. All right, how about you, Christina? Yeah, and I would probably like extend what I said earlier, just that, you know, I think Pence has gotten to have this role in his position as vice president as being the translator for Trump's craziness. <laughs> um, and to be honest, like when it started, my friend texted us and he was like, who even is this guy? Like, I haven't heard him talk at all. And I was like, that's because he literally just respouts out Trump's words, but in a format that people could kind of understand and to tone down the crazy level a little bit. Um, so his ability, you know, he was interrupting Kamala, but like I said, I don't think people that are on the other side would have necessarily seen it that way. They probably saw that as respectful and he's just trying to make sure the truth is heard and, you know, she was going over her time as well and that kind of thing. So, um, so really, I think that's where his strength is in terms of this election. And to be honest, if he thinks he's going to have a career past the Trump administration in like a higher level state office, I just don't see it because he is so much gotten behind the Trump train that I don't think there's any coming back for him. Like there's just no way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so for me, I mean, like that's a high moment for him for the debate, but in terms of his political goals, I don't know how far that's going to take him. So which will be hard for anybody that's affiliated with this administration, in my opinion. Like your cred credibility is going to be shot. For a majority of people, nobody's gonna take 
his biggest enablers seriously. Yeah, and I feel like everyone's going to come out in a couple, well, hopefully, like two years from now, everyone's going to come out of this like fog and be like, were we just brainwashed for four years? <laughs> yeah. Like, I hope that people realize that at some point. Um, all right, Molly. Yeah, so I agree. I think as soon as I heard him switched the COVID topic to, you know, appealing to the, well, you know, you should let the American people decide for themselves. And I thought, I, you know, of course, I'm like, damn it. Like, <laughs> I, <laughs> I did too. I did too. We all did it. <laughs> it appealed to his base. Um, so I think, I think that was a given. And, you know, um, Senator Harris was able to, you know, sort of redirect that. Yeah, um, all of it. He lied to you. <laughs> yeah, yes. But I think something that, that I have heard from, you know, a few of the Republicans that I've talked to about Mike Pence, which is, is always interesting, always an interesting conversation. Um, but a lot of times people say that, you know, President Trump isn't presidential and that's what they like about him. So there are Republicans who feel that way. And then there are Republicans who, you know, voted for him because they believe that he would be you know, the, he would have those conservative views and, you know, bring those into policy. And so I, but they also want someone who's presidential. And I think that's sort of where Mike Pence can get, you know, more of that vote rather than the like, non, you know, he's not a, a, a typical president. He's not a politician. I think there is that part of their base. But then I also think, again, Mike Pence sort of did a good job at appealing to the conservative, I can seem presidential base. Um, so that's why I think a lot of us were saying that the debate seemed normal-ish. Again, we talked about it. It was the tone, the tone that he used was typical politician, but what he was saying was, was scary and disturbing, so. Right, right. I think it's, yeah, I think it's important to note too that something that terrifies us. I think a lot of us about right. Mike Pence and a lot of what makes people appeal to Mike Pence is that he knows how to get things done, right? He's been in government for a while. He's your typical career, you know, politician. He has done vile, vile things to violate human rights and he knows how to do it and he will do it. So thinking of Mike Pence being in that high position of power for four more years, it terrifies me because I, in my heart of hearts, Donald Trump does not want to be president. He hates that office because he has no respect for it or the knowledge or the wherewithal or the IQ right. to be able to navigate these things. Right. Whereas Mike Pence does. Right. And so by hearing all of us talk, it, you know, validates that it's terrifying that he's right. in this position because he's someone that not only wants to forward policies that are dangerous to women in the LGBTQIA plus community and you know minorities he he can and and that's and that's terrifying. So Kim what are your thoughts uh, about I just found that I just thought did he answer a question? You know, every, everything that came at him, he would, well, what about the taxes? Or, 
uh, Qasem Soleimani, you know, he would just throw, throw, come up with something else that was told. So, you know, but that's me. I'm, you know, I'm me and I'm looking at it from my perspective, but I did definitely, I hear what you're saying, Kylie, and I definitely tuned into that, that he is speaking a language that, you know, normalizes an agenda that we're all terrified of, um, but a lot of people are comfortable with. And this gives them the license to say, he's normal, he's fine, he's not crazy, he's not incompetent. Yeah, and I had the same thoughts, basically, just his ability to not really answer questions and to pivot away and to redirect in ways that he was able to get away with. And again, I think that speaks to my frustration of having a stronger moderator that would have brought the issues back you know, thank you, Vice President Pence, but the question was, can you please address that? Would have been great to hear several times. Mm -hmm. um, and she just, in my opinion, was a pretty weak moderator. Um, as far as Pence goes, I mean, my mind's not gonna get changed at this point. So I don't know what there is that he can talk about that's gonna make me magically change my mind or feel better about the possibility of them winning again. Right. There's just no way I can even formulate my brain into working like that at this point, but. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, like you guys said, he didn't answer any questions, so there's a lot of opportunity. There. <laughs> there's a lot of mist, yeah. <laughs> All right, how about you, Molly? So mine wasn't, it, it, what, it is about the debate, but it's also a missed opportunity, I feel like, for social media after the debate. Um, again, I think the fly was something <laughs> funny. Um, you know, everyone was laughing about it. And obviously we saw um, that the Biden campaign took advantage of that with their fly swatters now. Um, that sold out? <laughs> yes, yes. With the fly swatters that sold out, you know, the picture of Joe Biden with, you know, with the fly swatter, hilarious. And I think I, I looked at, you know, um, the vice president's social media and there was no mention of it. And I just think that's a missed opportunity to seem like an actual person. Right, you that's know, a great like point. Yeah. Something, acknowledge that it happened. You could appeal to people who think that you're a cyborg, show <laughs> that you have a sense of humor. Right. But no, nothing, it was like, it was like, oh, you know, VP Pence won the debate and I'm thinking, I, I just don't understand that's the tweet after. I don't understand how you, you came up with that. At least do something funny. I don't know. That's, right, right. That's, for some reason, I just thought that's a missed opportunity for him. That is a great people. point. But, what about you, Kylie? If I can get myself unmuted. So <laughs> I was very disappointed, and I will preface this with we need to be like we as citizens and voters need to be critical of not only the people that are in office, but the people that are running for office. Um, you know, I, I love Senator Harris. Every time I feel sad or maybe not as productive as I should be, I go back and listen to her at the Kavanaugh hearing and it makes me feel better because she was the most articulate person that I've ever heard speak in my entire life. But um, we really missed an opportunity to talk about women's health and women's choice, which includes abortion. Um, I have that women need, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> women, women need to have access to abortion. And personally, 
I'm tired of having to walk on eggshells over it right? because it's 2020 and women's healthcare is part of human rights. Women's healthcare includes abortion. Um, you know, Planned Parenthood is not the devil. They provide excellent healthcare, including abortions, right? Right. Um, and I, I think we missed an opportunity for Senator Harris not only to talk about the importance of that, because as a Black woman on stage, she has an audience that maybe no other candidate has had before, right? Like they've tuned in and, and they need to hear that, that someone on the national stage supports them and their choices. Um, also, we missed the opportunity to nab Pence on his record. He has had made women had have funerals over a miscarriage. It's evil. You know, it, it's, it's right. truly evil. And I, I wish that we could not walk on eggshells right. over it. And I think we just need to take, um, take back that narrative of women's health includes women's choice. That was, that was mine. You and I are totally on what we watched it. I mean, I, I actually questioned for Pence, I questioned why he, when, you know, posed the question, Roe v. Wade, what would the states do? And he didn't answer the question. I'm like, okay. And so probably didn't want his record to come into question and all that kind. Of, but yeah, I'm with you. I like, I want an Aaron Sorkin moment. I want you to lean into this and just make the argument, you know, just stop being so afraid because we need to have this conversation. It needs to come out. Please stop talking to me about abortion clinics on every corner and, you know, women getting abortions in their third trimester. I mean, it's, it's just ridiculous. Call it out. Call it out. None of us want more abortions. Our strategy is to prevent it by not having unwanted pregnancies. You know, by theirs is to make it illegal. Which one works? You know, which one works? Providing women access to choices and so they don't get in the problem in the first place or just making it illegal. So yeah, that, that was totally mine too. I'm ready to just lean in, make the argument, start convincing people and call out crazy arguments when they're there. Yeah, and all the data supports all of that, right? So people have access to healthcare, birth control, all those things, they're gonna have less abortions. I mean, that's just right. been proven time and time again. Yeah. Um, one thing that stood out for me that felt like a missed opportunity was sort of hammering home the fact that, you know, Trump was getting essentially free healthcare, socialized medicine, and what the average cost of a COVID hospitalization would be for any other citizen in the United States. Uh -huh. So if any of us were hospitalized and had to spend days, if not weeks in the hospital, how that could be tens of thousands of dollars um, in costs. And here he is, you know, getting free healthcare, free socialized medicine. I think there could have been a, a stronger point made about that. All right, so this is kind of getting in the weeds, and I I think I just answered my my answer for this in the previous question. But what Kylie was talking about is what led me to to want to ask this question. I, I I am desperate for candidates to actually get in the weeds, you know, talk to us about the issues, make an argument, convince me, um, instead of just these talking points. So my the question was, was there a moment? when a candidate took that opportunity. And I think, you know, based on what we just said, no, there was, 
and, and you know, I, we are in a debate and we're trying to be careful and we're trying to, you know, addition versus subtra subtraction with voters and all of that. But um, I, I was wondering if you guys, if anybody heard anything that, um, you know, somebody touched on something that might have actually changed minds. And Molly, I wonder how you felt about that one. Yeah, so I, I, I didn't think that there was anything um, that seemed to transcend, you know, the partisan talking points. Um, and truthfully, I don't think that that was the goal here for either candidate. I think the goal was go out, deliver your talking points and do it in a civil manner. Um, just get our message out. Um, and I, I think that, again, like we've talked about, you know, we, it's, it's a fine line, I think, for, you know, this election because it is so polarized. And so, you know, there, there are people on, I mean, I've, I've heard people, you know, who are more left-leaning say, well, you know, she's not, she's not um, addressing this or Joe Biden isn't addressing this and it needs to be addressed, it needs to be addressed, but we also need votes. We need those, those middle people whoever, whoever they are at this point. I, I don't know. I don't know who those people are, but I do think that's a lot of, that's a lot of the mindset right now. And so I think that while I would love to see, you know, a, an actual discussion take place where it's like, okay, obviously we don't agree on this, but let's see, why don't we agree on this? Or, you know, how can we, how can we talk through this and maybe come up with a compromise? I think right now because everything is so polarized people are nervous to have those conversations they're okay. nervous that their base because on you know one hand it what if senator harris was like you know what no let's talk about that let's let's you know explain to me your views on this or even if you know vice president pence were to do the same thing would it upset their base um and unfortunately in an election where bases matter, I, I, I would be very surprised to see anyone try and try and have those discussions right now, which is sad, but. Well, you know, I think about when, um, is Pete Buttigieg, the way that he articulates an argument, like he, he states his position, but he does it in a way that maybe the, the conservatives can listen to it, can hear what he's saying. He'll turn the argument around from their talking points and let me, let's address that. You know, and he doesn't do it in a confrontational manner. And I think that's why he was so effective. And uh, I think that's why so many people respond, resonated with, with the message that he had in the beginning, because that's what he was trying to do. I, I totally hear what you're saying. And I just, I don't know. I, I feel like maybe we need to expect more of each other. And if we have a candidate that's really brave and just, and you know, again, this, this election is too important. We can't, we can't do brave. We have to just win first and, and then be brave. But once, and hopefully if we do win, I hope that we start having those conversations. Right, right. And also, I just wanted to add to that. And I mentioned this in the last podcast with the presidential debate. But I think that it's dangerous. And I've seen a lot of people posting, you know, well, if you don't agree with this point, then we can't be friends or we can't be talking. And I just think that's a very dangerous attitude to have because 
part of, at least in my opinion, part of our civic duty is to have those conversations with people and make sure that people who you might say, well, there's no hope. Well, no, have those conversations and let your voice be heard. And I think that when we do that, we might, I mean, there are things where you probably won't have a lot of uh, a common ground on, but I think making sure that you're still using your voice and communicating with people, I think it's going to go a long way. Like, like what we were saying about Pete Buttigieg. So. Right. I agree. Uh, so Kylie, what, what did you think? Was there, was there a moment that changed your mind or you thought maybe might've changed someone else's? Well, what Senator Harris is really good at is um, really talking about issues that affect everybody and when she spoke about the ACA and you know how that's going to go away, if you have any pre-existing condition true. at all, it's one. gone. Your healthcare yeah. is gone. Coming that's, for you. that's something that really resonates with folks. I spend a lot of time in the 17th Congressional District of Pennsylvania, which is pretty pretty red. Um, but that's something that resonates with everybody. Mm -hmm. is, you know, they, they want to have health care. Um, you know, the GOP has demonized Medicare for all and socialized medicine and how it's awful. But I, I think something we can all agree on is that the ACA does have flaws, right? Just like anything. Right, but, right. Um, you know, you can get health care. You know, you, you can have access to health care. And I think that was really good that she made that point as well as the point where she talked about the economy and that Donald Trump only cares about billionaires. He doesn't actually care about you. I think we see a lot of these folks that vote for Donald Trump, they vote against their best interests, right? Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of the Republican party is about big banks, big corporations, um, you know, and, talking about the climate, you know, corporations are responsible for dumping all of that toxic sludge into the rivers, into the oceans, which is causing our planet to just fall apart. Right. right? And so Senator Harris has a really good way and smart way of talking about those issues without using the hot words that aren't bad at all, right. but have been demonized by the right. And, and I think it's important to you know, talk about that. It's okay to have conversations and disagree on taxes or maybe what version of the Green New Deal you like best. But when it comes down to right now in this election, the Republican Party's platform is essentially like, if you love someone, if you're not in like a straight presenting relationship, you deserve to have less rights than others. If you are a woman, you deserve to have less rights than others. And that's important. And that's what people need to realize. Like, this is about human rights here. You know, it's about saving our planet so that we can still be here in 15 years to make it a better place. So I think she really did a good job of hopefully maybe making some people realize that, and maybe not even realize, but if, if you hear something enough, you might start to think about it a little bit. So <laughs> hammering that, you know, Donald Trump doesn't care if you have health care, even though he just spent a lot of time in the hospital 
right, for right. COVID when he only paid $750 in federal taxes a year. When I worked at Dairy Queen when I was 16, I paid more than that. So it, I, I think she did a, r- a really good job with trying to hit some of those people on those issues. Yeah, yeah, she did. That was a good point. All right, Christina, what'd you think? Was anything change anybody's mind that you heard? Yeah, and I, this is a really interesting question for me. I actually had a conversation with somebody after the presidential debate about this because in some regards, the debate in their current formats are a little bit outdated. Um, and this is hard for me to say because the first debate I really remember watching and paying attention to was Obama McCain. So maybe I'm just not sure because I'm too young, but to me, you're presented candidates values and beliefs and platforms day in and day out from the moment they decide they want a political career now on social media, when you see them talking on the news, you hear more about what's going on in your state Senate and House, more so than I think we ever really used to. There's so much, the the news cycle harps on one thing that a candidate will say. And so sometimes, you know, the things that the news is harping on is really how that candidate feels. So it's interesting because I think a lot of people come into the debates knowing what the candidates are gonna say or thinking they know what the candidates are gonna say. And at that point, they're not hearing anything else that comes out of their mouths besides, oh, I already know uh, Kamala believes in socialism. I already know for me, like I already know Mike Pence hates all the people that I care about. So I'm not gonna listen to really anything he says kind of thing. Right. So to me, debates have a really interesting place in the election process, but I don't feel the the format of it has changed enough to go along with how much technology and communications in general in this world have changed. Like it's got to modernize somehow. And I don't know the answer to how that is, but having two people up on a stage that are literally going to share talking points for the most part, besides the little magical fly that landed on his head. I mean, like, like you said, nothing really surprised us. Nothing surprised us in the presidential debate. We already knew going in what the hit points are that both of them want to make known. So how about you, Allie? Anything change minds? Um, probably not. I mean, to be honest, probably nothing, but like the one at one aspect that I really appreciate that's being brought up is about the idea of climate change being an economic opportunity for growth and using that as a stepping stone into, um, you know, new job opportunities for folks and new ways of having a healthier, cleaner planet by employing people in a different way than we've ever thought about. So yeah, I don't know if it changes anybody's mind, but I do like the idea of the innovation of that, of there are opportunities that we can engage in and progress in and have job creation in that is also going to not kill our planet. All right. Well, now, ladies, that we've heard from both campaigns, what do you think this election is all about? And we're going to start with Molly. So I put decency again and it's something that we talked about in the presidential debate decency you know human rights um but also i think that there is that this 
election is, uh, it's weird to me because there's this message of we need to unify the country. We need to unify the country. Yet we're so polarized. And we just talked about how both candidates got on the, got on the stage and said, you know, they're talking points. So to me, it's it's been a really just weird thing to try and balance. Like on one hand, our message is we need to unify, yet we're so polarized. And it's just something that, especially when watching the debates, it's so evident. Um, and I just think that that's going to be a huge issue. And so I hope um, whoever ends up winning, which prayers that it is Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, but I, I just think that that polarization will be so dangerous and we need someone who can at least have conversations with people who they don't agree with. So this election is about survival, full stop, and not in the sense of, well, we just need to like get past it. We need to get back to normal. Donald Trump, Mike Pence, Mitch McConnell, Lindsey Graham, insert a lot of other Bill names. Barr, Jim Jordan. <laughs> they actively work to advocate against a decent quality of life for women, for people of color, for the LGBTQIA plus community. You know, they don't want any of us to like be alive, right? And so you know, we vote for healthcare, we vote for immigration, we vote for climate change, because it's not just about scooting by, it's about surviving. Because if Donald Trump and Mike Pence get elected for another four years, a lot of lives will be lost unnecessarily, because they feel that they should not be alive anymore. And that's what's really scary. And so it's vital that you vote either by mail or absentee or in person <laughs> that you make sure that you vote because it is the most important election of our lifetime because actual lives are on the line and a lot of lives are on the line. Yeah, thank you. Christina, how about you? Yeah, I would agree with them. I mean, for me, I feel like if you're looking at this election in isolation or even just looking at this election saying the last four years were so bad, you're not seeing the bigger picture. And I think that's a really hard thing to change because it's hard to say, okay, in a hundred years when I'm probably not around anymore, why would I care what the world's going to look like? And it's like, because the progression that we're heading towards I don't want to even say the word progression. It's not a progression. It's only going to get worse. The trajectory is heading down. Um, the Even what we were talking about before we you know, started recording about this governor in Michigan who almost got kidnapped by an armed militia group. I know that that didn't just start happening in the last four years. That happened in the background, I'm sure, more before and now it's just more out in the open. But why do these people feel empowered to start doing these things in a public manner? I mean, there were people walking around Philadelphia at the start of the Black Lives Matter protests with baseball bats to protect the Christopher Columbus statue, right. an inanimate object. And they were will wow. willing to beat the crap out of people who thought that statue should be well, taken down. 
down. I can't continue at this trajectory. We cannot, like Kylie said, we can't survive it. If it keeps going at this rate, and it's not just about Trump, it's not just about Pence, it's bigger than that. There are groups of people in this country who don't feel that other people are equal to them. And we have to figure out why that is and address it and find real ways to make sure that their opinions don't hinder the progress of other people actually having a good life. I mean, that's really what it boils down to. Why does, why can't everyone have the same access to a good life? We talk about access to healthcare and you know, access to good education, access to a car. I mean, it all boils down to you want people to have a good life. If you're just constantly yeah. stripping rights away, you can't, can't let them do that. So, right. I, I would guess that uh, Kim and I would feel like Christina, your generation and all yours, the younger generation are our greatest hope of really seeing people more as equals in ways that you guys are truly the hope and the progress and the change that um, is exciting and um, hopefully will bring about change for all of us. I mean, it, it gives me some sense of hope every single night when I go to bed to hear what my daughter who's 20 years old, you know, what she thinks about things and what her friends are thinking about. And it's like, oh my gosh, the, the fact that you guys are all number one, interested, engaged in involved is super exciting. And I think that women are feeling more empowered than ever to see themselves as equals in ways that, you know, our mothers, Kim and I's mothers probably never did. Um, well, I can only speak for myself. Kim, your mom <laughs> sounds like she was always a badass. My well, I, I think uh, part of that is part of the reason why so many women are engaged and maybe I'm inserting my own opinion here, but for some reason that skit from Starry Night Live with Dave Chappelle and Chris Rock, remember right after the election and you know, all of the liberal white people were around just, how did this happen? I can't believe my, and they're like, where have you guys been? Of course, you know? So now, I mean, that's what this election has been for me, a realization of my, my own privilege. You know, now I am officially threatened by what's going on and so I'm engaged and I'm embarrassed by that. There are so many people that have suffered for so long. There's like what, what you're, you're saying, Kylie, is, you know, this vote is, I mean, it is for us now because we're worried about women's rights, but it's woken us up to the fact that there are so many that have been suffering for so long and have just, you know, come to not believe in government anymore. Um, but now that we're all engaged and we're all moving forward, that's what gives me hope. Um, I, I wrote, I wrote, it's about democracy. And, and for me, I feel like, you know, people are throwing around that term, you've got to save our democracy and it feels so hyperbolic, but, it, but it's not. Do you, do you really want to live in a world where you don't accept other points of view? That's not democracy. Everybody has to be able, at the be able to come to the table and, and, and talk about these things and find middle ground. You don't get 100% your, your way. And so that, that's what I'm hoping. I, I hope that this is about democracy. And, and I, I wrote down, we gave them Joe. You know, we gave them our middle of the road, moderate, our guy that they knew, our guy that's trying desperately to walk that center lane and bring us all back to the table. So I hope that enough people are, you know, not brought into these crazy extremes that I hope the center rises. Really appreciate you ladies giving your time and 
willingness to jump on this call with us and share your thoughts and where you guys are at. It's, it is great to hear from different women from different parts of the United States and what they're doing and how they're feeling. And I think hopefully it energizes all of us to continue the good fight. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Girl Talk Live. Please join our email list at ivotelikeagirl.com and follow us on Instagram and Facebook. You don't want to miss out on our next great conversation.